Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome, Rally friends, to a very special edition of Dirt Fish's Spin the Rally Pod. Well, as we all know, the world is struggling under the strain of having to cope with the consequences of the coronavirus. You know, the virus, it's not just shutting down motorsport, but giving the entire planet a hard reset. And while the vast majority of us, well, we're doing our bit, aren't we, to fight this deadly virus by staying at home, by sitting on our settees and by keeping our families close to us. But there are some within the rallying community who are going above and beyond in their extraordinary efforts to do what they can. So in this special tribute to the heroes within our community, we talk to the trauma nurse, who just happens to be a massive rally fan, the team boss making his engineering brilliance available to develop new medical devices, to the driver who owes his life to the dedicated health professionals working tirelessly against this insidious virus, to the tire supremo who gives up every minute of his spare time to drive a volunteer ambulance in Italy's worst affected region and to the co-driver doing all he can to offer support to his dreadfully affected local community. You know, it's an emotional but uplifting journey, that's absolutely for sure. So, you know, as this dreadful virus tracks across continents, we've seen different countries facing the problems it causes. And we're hearing time and time again about the medical team's stepping up to the front line. People like Jason Anthony, a rally fan like all of us, he works in the emergency trauma room of a hospital in Philadelphia. And I wanted to know what an average day is like for him at this difficult time. Sure, yeah. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it. Um, So yeah, my day job is I'm an emergency trauma nurse. I've been doing it for about 10 years. Uh, it's, It's a job that even on the best of days can be stressful at times. Um, so these days with the situation we're in, it's, uh, it's definitely a grind. Um, it's tiring emotionally, you know, tiring in every sense of the word, emotionally and mentally with the things we have to process. And then just physically with, um, the fact of all the equipment that we're trying to take on and off and, uh, the long shifts, um, so it is a grind. I mean, we're fortunate here where I am in Philadelphia that uh, it's not quite so dire as, you know, the situations we're seeing in places like New York or Italy. But uh, at the same time, it's not good. And, and we don't know if it's going to get to that point. I think that's the, the toughest thing is uh, we don't know how things are going to go and when this is going to be over. And so um, we kind of have to face each day as it comes and do the best we can with the cards we're dealt. And um, as long as we do that... Um, that's what we that's what we go home to at the end of the night with the knowledge that we we did the best we could and that's all we can do you know what though it is difficult for us to comprehend because yes it's it is your it is your life it is your vocation but you put you know you put everything on the line every time you put on that PPE 
when you go into work, I don't know how you deal with it. How do you find the mental fortitude to know that to help others, you have to risk your own life? It must be a very difficult situation. Um, I mean, it's something that at Could, times it crosses the mind. Um, yeah, because, sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, I will let you answer that, and that's awfully rude of me. I'm very sorry. but <laughs> No worries. Y- you know... You're you're not military medics. You're not frontline military medics. You're a trauma medic. And a trauma medic, a trauma nurse, does their best to make people better who are very, very sick. But a trauma nurse, a trauma medic, are you, are you prepared? Do, do, are, do they give you any training in how to deal with a completely different situation? Yes, you are still trying your very best to make people better, but, but you are risking your life in doing that and that that is not i would imagine your normal everyday uh, working process <laughs> yeah uh, maybe not um i'll give you a rally analogy how about that this is a rally podcast so i'll give you a rally analogy um i think uh, yes this isn't necessarily what i expected or necessarily signed up for uh, when i chose to become an emergency trauma nurse but in a way, it is as well, and in a way, this is um, this is this is my Onimpoya in a sense. You know, I think of that that stage that Chris Meek drove through Onimpoya. I think it was 2016, and you just knew at the end of the stage that this is what he had lived and trained to do. And I feel the same way about what I'm doing now. This is the situation this is the this is the type of thing that makes your career and this is the type of thing that uh you're going to remember for the rest of your life and it feels quite honestly more like a privilege to be able to do what i do in this setting to be able to be a part of this uh, and to be able to actually go out and do something to make a difference rather than being stuck at home waiting and wondering about what might happen and so um yeah, this is this is. Uh, I would say it's like it's like tackling unemployment for a rally driver. It's what ultimately you live to do, and it's why you got into what you do for a living. You know, it's really hard not to get emotional hearing Jason speak with so much passion, and we'll hear from him again a little later on. So we've heard from the medic, but what's it like to be a patient, and a patient who's had to be ventilated? Well, British rally stalwart Steve Perez is a man who has had first-hand experience of what it's like to be kept alive on a ventilator. Those who remember, just uh, in 2018, I was on the Ypres rally, and uh, while they were refueling my Lancia Strata, the car basically exploded, and um, I was airlifted to Ghent Hospital because I had uh, serious burns to my to my uh, hands and my, my, my head. And uh, uh, during, the, during that time, I'd also contra- somehow contracted pneumonia. <laughs> and I was uh, put on a, a ventilator there for 10 days, a mechanical ventilator, which obviously we're seeing an awful lot about these days. Um, and I can just say it was a, <clears throat> a yeah, quite, quite a horrendous experience. <laughs> Uh, you can probably tell even now I'm still suffering from the you know, sort of somewhat croaky voice yeah, from, from having the tubes uh, put down my throat. It damaged some of my vocal cords. I mean, hopefully I've got no further damage, but it's most most horrendous experience you could possibly imagine. Uh, 
yeah, they, you know, usually people are you know put into into an induced coma. Uh, but during that in that coma, I had the most horrendous nightmares. Uh, to some extent, they still you know, they still reoccur. Um, um, yeah, one one very common uh, nightmare was that, that I was drowning. Um, and I suppose effectively that's what happens when you, you know, have pneumonia you you are you you you, you drown and uh, and I was I felt I was fighting to get out of this catch if you like uh, underwater and uh, fortunately I you know survived uh, but it really it really did make me think you know about what a wonderful job the health professionals do you know, whether it's you know in in Belgium or here in the UK, I mean those uh, those people, um, you know, came in every day. Um, I, you know, you know, I was a piece of meat, mm-hmm. and they turned me, changed me, and uh, they, yeah, you know, completely selfless, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and, and and I feel really bad because I can't remember most of the names now, mm-hmm. and they just came into my life, mm-hmm. saved my life, and then disappeared and went off. That, that's other people's lives. That's incredible, Steve. It's an incredible story, and 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 I guess that that is what we're seeing now during this terrible crisis. Um, yeah, what what a story, Steve. But you know, you you've got very diverse business interests, clearly. But I, I don't suppose you have the capability to to manufacture the, these machines, these ventilators that are in such short supply just now. But you are very very much doing your part. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing with your hotel just now, Steve. Well, we've got the uh, Casa Hotel in Chesterfield, and uh, I was uh, contacted, uh, you know, on Twitter by uh, by, um, by a nurse at the Chesterfield Rural Hospital, and said she she was working really hard, and would it be possible to get a a room at the hotel uh, just so she could get some rest, and uh, and I kind of thought about it and said, yeah, yeah, no problem, and then and then as I as I thought further about it. I thought there must be a lot of other frontline NHS staff there, desperate for just a good night's sleep, get away from the, you know, the kids and you know the family, and just to, just to get away from it all. So, so I, I said, so I, so I put something out on Facebook and said, if any frontline staff wanted, wanted a good night's sleep, a nice hot meal, and clear our mini bar out, you know, um, you know, just just to contact me. And to be honest, I've been absolutely deluged by, by emails to the extent I'm, I'm struggling coping with it all now. And we've literally, uh, we've literally provided hundreds of rooms for um, for, for NHS staff, uh, and, and and many of my own staff. Yeah. Have actually volunteered, you know, to come in and help and help prepare meals, and we've sent meals up to the hospital, and they've done it all out of their, you know, oh. their, yeah, their own time. They've offered, they've offered themselves to help. Wow, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, Steve, I tell you what, I'm I'm welling up listening to you. I have to say, it's a it's a remarkable response, and 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 you know, as you say, you might have forgotten the names of those doctors and nurses in Belgium, but my goodness me, uh, you are doing your bit for the doctors and nurses of, of your local area. Yeah, well, I, th- I think all of us, you know, I'm sure there's things, you know, all of us as businesses, we, you, you know, we can do. I can't, unfortunately, I can't make, you know, ventilators or anything clever like that, but, but we, you know, we, we know, a, we know how to make a, you know, a good paella or a good pie, <laughs> and uh, we just keep on doing the things we, know, we, we do best. Again, Tremendously emotional and really very humbling just to hear of people giving back and to hear firsthand how it feels to be so ill 
and to have the need to be medically ventilated. These are extraordinary times. An extraordinary innovation is possible in extraordinary times. David Richards, he's the chairman of both Motorsport UK and of the ProDrive group of companies. Well, he told us about their response. Well, we've, you know, I think everybody has it's, uh, wrong to single out any one individual or one in one company because I think the, the whole motorsport community is, uh, and I think rallying perhaps more so than any other aspect of motorsport, is built around communities and volunteers and people that work together. And uh, at times like this, you see that really come to the fore. And I'm, I've noticed it in so many initiatives that I've seen from local motor clubs around the country in my role as chairman of the governing body in Motorsport UK. And um, just the sort of things that, yeah, those are the people that really come to the fore when, when the chips are down. And uh, so, yeah, it's great to see. Well, as I mentioned, you know, you, you've got quite a diverse range of interest, David, but let's talk about the engineering side of things. You guys are switching over production to to produce parts, I believe, for ventilators. How did that come about? And how did you go about that process? Well, it's not quite the way you explain it. It's uh, <laughs> the government about a month ago put out a request for any companies that could help with the production of ventilators to put their names forward. Um, at the moment, in or at the month ago in this country, we only had about, so I understand, about six or seven thousand ventilators available, and they wanted to have more than double that. So the the problem being that the supply, as I understand it, the the um, the basic supply of components for the existing ventilators was was limited. So they were looking to alternative solutions for this and finding. Uh, alternative ways of manufacturing or a different design of ventilators so that they could up the production levels. Um, we put our names forward straight away for that. We felt we got a lot of the skill sets required for it. and uh, But it was a couple of weeks before we even heard back or heard anything at all. When we did hear back, we understood what was required. And we partnered with uh, Cambridge University and a company called Whittle Laboratories down in Cambridge as well, who had a design but didn't have a means of uh, manufacturing it. Mm. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been working with them night and day, the small group of engineers. We've retained a, a team back at ProDrive, most of the other people have, are off furlough because there's motorsport at the moment, but we've retained a team of people there who've been working on this night and day for the last couple of weeks to come up with a production solution for this design that the um, the Cambridge University team have, uh, have come up with. Unfortunately, we've just learned in the last, literally in the last 48 hours that uh, they don't want to carry this forward. The uh, NHS or the uh, Pease Consulting who have been appointed by the government to select uh uh, uh, these uh, solutions for this ventilator and so I haven't yet had the chance to speak to the team to understand exactly what's behind that decision and what we can do next. We still think that what we've got is a viable solution and it may be viable for in the longer term. It might just be that you know we, we couldn't produce it in the time required So, but it could be useful for other countries around the world and that's something we're certainly going to investigate next. Yeah well listen it was quite some effort, quite some response from yourself personally David and from your whole team there but that isn't the only way that you have been involved in uh, responding to this this terrible crisis that we're all going through. You know, you do have a, a couple of hotels, don't you? And and you've you've made use of those uh, in terms of uh, community use well, down south. Yeah, the 
the hotels are closed down clearly at the moment as the restaurants and uh, that side of things but uh, one of the hotels in the we're in a small village down in Cornwall and uh, on a sort of peninsula fairly isolated so we've turned over one of the, um, the facilities at the hotels with computers and telephones to a local support group who can use it to help people who are isolated and help those that can't get down to the shops themselves so we're we're just making it available to them it's the support group that are doing all the work and doing all the running around and they're doing an incredible job for local community here in uh, in Cornwall. I, you know what I, I what I find just really quite uplifting David is that you know there, there are companies there are people out there that, that clearly have a focus in their day-to-day life and and you know your focus over your career has been building a, a tremendous brand a tremendously successful company. I, and quite often we don't see the more human side of, of uh, you know, these business people, these companies. And we are seeing that now. And it is so uplifting to see that just about in every community around the country. No, I think um, it's at times like this you um, you pull on the resources of your organisation and organisations that have the right culture and right attitude mm. and are responsible for the society they live in uh, behave appropriately. I've um, unfortunately seen examples of the opposite um, in the last few weeks, but there we go. But uh, certainly, you know, the team at ProDrive, the team down here in my hotels down in Cornwall, all of them are pulled together and there hasn't been a single person who hasn't just said, what can I do next? How can I help? You know, what's, you know, this is my responsibility. And um, so it's it's been really encouraging for me to see that that was the attitude of everybody and it, it, nobody ever flinched. It was just, let's get on with it. I on for just one second. You know, it could be a very drawn out process, this returning to, to the stages, in particular to the rallying stages. How are you preparing for life post-coronavirus because it is going to be very different the whole landscape will be quite different that we emerge out into well as we sit here today i must admit that most of the focus has been on how we close things down appropriately how we minimize our costs whether that's the overheads of motorsport uk and and of course how we help the clubs we've just announced this week that we're uh, we put a fund together to help motor clubs to um, get through this period there'll be clubs that will have um, expenditure and costs that they hadn't anticipated events that have had to be cancelled for which they've um, they'll see no income from and yet they've got some of the costs so we put together a fund to help the clubs through this period um we're clearly not going to be any form of motorsport till the end of June at the moment. I suspect that'll have to be extended to the end of July. Might just be that um, we can run uh, the Grand Prix behind closed doors at Silverstone in July. I hope we can sort of run the Grand Prix and um, Formula E has the same set of problems and that's their return to the UK this year. But grassroots motorsport is is the real crux of it and uh, that's how people get together. That's a built their cars over the winter that's their enjoyment their passion and so finding ways to uh, invigorate that again and invigorate club motorsport is is key to us and uh, the funds we put together i think at the end of the day if we haven't used them to help clubs to sort of survive this period we might allocate more funds to invigorate things and kick things off again in the future and uh, uh, and help promote motorsport in the UK but I think you know at times like this we can actually do ourselves a great favour we can either be a sort of sport that hides away and people sort of regard us as uh, environmentally unfriendly and not sort of you know regarded as a true sport or we can be part of the community we can 
help with the community activities and doing things that others perhaps haven't got the facilities to do. We've got this great volunteer organisation that can uh, support people at these difficult times. We can become more relevant and um, in the future, I hope to see that uh, us doing that more and more because uh, we must make motorsport relevant to make it sustainable for the long term. That was ProDrive's David Richards speaking with me earlier this week. And David spoke about how the rally world is well used to being a community that helps out. But it's funny how it takes situations like this difficult one to find out more about people we thought we knew. Take Mario Isola, for example. By day, he's Pirelli's head of motorsport. But did you know that for the last three decades, he's also been a volunteer ambulance driver? Yeah, that's correct. I did it. I started when I was 18, and so it's yeah, 32 years because I'm quite old now. But uh, <laughs> you certainly don't look it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but uh, when I, when I came back from Melbourne, I contacted the medical doctor that is the director of the association, responsible for the association. And uh, she told me it's better that you stay a couple of weeks at home uh, because of the flies. You, you, you never know if you get in contact with, with anybody that is positive. So for two weeks after Melbourne, I stayed at home. And then I started again with my activity because uh, now more than ever, it's necessary to do that. Uh, we have uh, usually we have uh, one ambulance that is just dedicated for the emergency uh, system. And in this in these days we have two ambulances and uh, we have volunteers that are delivering um, medicine to to the people at home. We have volunteers that are um, used at the call center. There is a call center uh, for this emergency, uh, so people can have information on what is going on. And obviously, because they need a lot of. Uh, people to answer to the calls. There is a number of phone calls that is unbelievable. Mm. I was there for a couple of shifts and uh, you, you don't have time to, to have a, a snack uh, during the eight hours because you have to, to answer the, the phone every five minutes. And, uh, and that's all. So we are busy with uh, all that, hoping that this is going to stop very soon. But uh, we need to respect the uh, directive of our governments. Say at the moment, the only solution is to stay at home, avoid contacts, and, and that's all. I cannot tell you that it's not risky to go out on the ambulance. We are protected by all the DPIs, but it's uh, yeah. Also, also there is a strange feeling. We are like uh, Ghostbusters, you know, with a with a suit, with a glasses, with a mask, with. Uh, uh, double gloves uh, and, and so on because you never know even if it's not uh, uh, a call uh, mission for coronavirus you, you don't know when uh, when you arrive if the, the person uh, is positive or not so you have to protect yourself that's and all it's, it's worth pointing out that you're you're in the heart of the Lombardy region as well aren't you you know where Unfortunately, we've seen so many cases. Uh, what What's the impact on your local community? What's it been like? In Milan, uh, uh, for what I, I saw, uh, people are respecting uh, the directives. And um, the other night, I was out on, on my night shift uh, on the ambulance and there was nobody around. 
that that's good news. Um, obviously, that uh, all this situation has a big impact uh, on on our community. In Milan is a, is a big city, and it's uh, really strange to see that everything is is closed. Uh, shops, restaurants, everything is closed. Mm. And it's not normal, you know, in, um, during a normal period when I'm in my night shift, uh, even at 4 a.m., you have uh, people around, uh, disco yeah. clubs, uh, everything, traffic, uh, and uh, to drive the ambulance in Milan without anybody on the road is really a strange feeling. I remember when I started 30 years ago, there were some nights with nobody around, but it was a different period. Now yeah. it's really strange. And, uh, and in Bergamo, Brescia, all that area that are even more affected because they are smaller communities with more cases, it's, uh, it's even worse. We had to send some ambulances from Milan to that, uh, those areas to support uh, our colleagues. And um, we are trying to help each other, obviously. It's, uh, it's important that there is this kind of availability. I have to say that I was really surprised that... Uh, I don't have uh, um, news of any of our volunteers that said, no, I'm not going out because it's dangerous. So right. everybody, even uh, obviously doctors, uh, nurses, they are doing uh, an incredible job, uh, but also volunteers that do that for free. Nobody, nobody stepped back and said, no, 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 I don't want to take the risk. So it's yeah. our it's our duty at the moment to do that. And uh, it's correct to do that. I think, you know, if, if this crisis has, has taught us one thing, it's taught us that, you know, we have genuine heroes in our day-to-day -day life. These people who, like yourself, that work in, in the health industry. And, and, you know, we we can't thank you people enough. It is it's incredible uh, and you know in 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 england in in london around we've started clapping on a thursday night um and it is some of the most emotional scenes you know it's i don't know it's kind of bringing the world together i think that also from uh, negative situations like this one uh, we can learn a lot uh, and uh, sometime i remember when i had the opportunity to talk about this activity in the past, uh, I was always saying that uh, this uh, type of uh, volunteer activity is giving me the possibility to uh, to stay with my feet on the ground. I mean, uh, um, because you realize also in a normal situation that a lot of people are less lucky than you. And uh, at the end of the day, we are in a in a very nice environment. I had the opportunity to to, to do the job that I love. Uh, and uh, in, a, in a fantastic environment, uh, it was GT before, World Rally Championship, and now Formula One, or motorsport in general. So we are very lucky. And uh, doing that uh, one night per week, uh, you realize, okay, the world is not all this gold and glamour and this kind of stuff. So uh, I, I told this uh, before, and now uh, it's even more evident. Uh, and it's important that uh, we we stop fighting for stupid stuff and we focus on important stuff like that. Um, there are a lot of, really a lot of people that are doing uh, a lot for the community. It was quite emotional when I um, went to my my base, my association the other, the other day, I jumped in and there is a wall that is like, I don't know, 20 meters long, 
mm-hmm. uh, with all the messages from the people uh, thanking right. us for what we are doing. And uh, we are just doing what, uh, what I'm doing since 30 years. It's nothing different. Doctors and nurses as well. It's nice to see that people recognize that, realize that uh, we do that. Because at the end of the day, it's a big uh, personal satisfaction. It's, uh, I think that a big part of the reason why uh, volunteers are doing this job is yeah, to, to give uh, help to the other people, but also to get personal uh, satisfaction um, and uh, something positive for ourselves. And, and in, this, in this situation, it's, uh, there is... Uh, a lot that is coming back uh, in this in this respect. That's Pirelli's head of motorsport, Mario Isola, speaking to Dirtfish's senior writer, David Evans, one of so many people volunteering their spare time to help others. Now, I've been hearing what Hyundai co-driver Carlos Del Barrio has been up to back in Spain. Carlos, we all know that in Spain right now you're going through a really terrible, terrible time. But really, since you got back from Mexico, you've been incredibly busy. You've been volunteering your time with the Civil Defence Force. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Well, uh, basically, we are uh, trying to help out all, all the neighbourhoods here. Uh, I live in a village surrounded by many little villages as well. So we are uh, in giving out uh, face masks. We are doing the shopping for the old people. We are also spraying this liquid, uh, uh, this combination is mix of uh, water and uh, sodium hypochlorite uh, just to, to, to try and stop the virus spread. So uh, basically this kind of things and to be available 24 hours a day uh, for the people, to help people. That's quite a remarkable community response, isn't it? And what we know, as I said, just how tough it's been in Spain. But it is amazing how people are pulling together in these difficult times. Together in these difficult times. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, especially where I live here in this village, uh, every people is helping uh, uh, each other. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, well, here there are a lot of farmers. Uh, uh, but there are also a lot of old people, so uh, the most important thing is that, that they don't feel alone. So we must be available for them, and okay, this is very important for us, for all the community. You know, personally, it must be great that you can actually offer something. You know, a lot of us, all we're doing is sitting on our settees at home, but you can actually do something to make a positive change. From your point of view, Carlos, that must be really, really quite incredible to actually be able to contribute in that way. Yeah, for, of course, because, okay, for me, even the situation is even is special because I live alone, so I'm more available because I don't have a family to take care with or about, so uh, I'm completely available for the community. Um, this helps me a lot as well for, for my mind, for everything to feel that I am, uh, I'm useful, let's say. <laughs> no, you're very, very useful indeed. It's a remarkable job you're doing, Carlos. But tell me, can you see it making a difference? Are things actually changing? Uh, yes, but this is, this is going to be very slow. It's going to be, it looks like a very slow recovery. So, uh, you know, that situation in Spain and in Italy is 
has been going from bad to worse in the past uh, few weeks. Now we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, it will take some, I, I would say months, not weeks, months to get out. Yeah, you know, it's a terribly worrying time, but what's really encouraging is that we're seeing a lot more love around. I'd say a lot more care and a lot more compassion. And you know what I hope is that when we come out of this, maybe we'll see a positive change in society. Yeah, for sure. For sure, this will change things because these things are very awkward. Uh, nobody was prepared beforehand to, to face something like this. But uh, these difficult times that we are uh, going through, uh, at the end, somehow it will pay off. Uh, it will change things uh, in the future, for sure. Um, from my personal point of view, you know, all the all the sportmen, uh, no, what, uh, professional sportmen, normally we are very selfish because, okay, it's like that. It's, it's like that. If you want to win in your sport, it uh, doesn't matter if it is motorsport or whatever. Uh, uh, your character must be very selfish. You must work for your own, for your team. But now it's... Uh, completely the other side of the story. Uh, we must be very, we must be very helpful for the people. We must think not in, on our own, but on the others. Uh, it's, it's totally different. So for me, it's been it's it's been nice. Well, absolutely, another hero to his community, co-driver Carlos Del Barrio, and it's good to hear that he's sure that there'll be positives to come out of this horrible situation. So I've been lucky enough to speak to some very special people in this edition of the podcast. Rallying, well, it's brought us together. And I want to give the last word to Jason Anthony, our trauma nurse from Philadelphia. I'm sure you noticed that he's got a great way with words. And while we can't enjoy live action on the stages at the moment, we can certainly relive Jason's first experience of the sport that we all love. So, yeah, my introduction to rallying... Um... I guess it would have been 2006. I was on a trip to Galway, Ireland, actually, and uh, grew up uh, being a fan of motorsport. Uh, my dad kind of got me into it, um, watching, not participating. But uh, so I had always had a love of cars. But when I was in Ireland, uh, it would have been, I guess, February or March, um, because it was the time when the Galway International Rally was going on. And at the time, I didn't know much about rallying, but my friends and I were walking through the city center of Galway and. We heard this commotion, a uh, big crowd of people in Air Square, which is the park uh, in the center of the city. And we saw this staged sort of thing set up with a gantry and lights and heard some car engines. And we kind of got drawn to it. And we're like, what is this? We started asking around like, oh, this is the rally. You know, it comes comes through town every year. And uh, it's, it's the race to the city. Like, you know, I know a bit about motorsports. I'm like, it doesn't seem like there's a, a city street circuit around here. And they're like, no, no, you know, they race out in the countryside. Uh, you should check it out tomorrow because, um, you know, uh, they're going to be racing out in the country roads. And we're like, OK, well, how, how, how do we do it? How, you know, where, where do we get tickets? And they're like, <laughs> you don't need tickets. You just you just uh, show up in your car and park up and uh, walk up to the stages. So my friends and I were like, what do you what do you say? You want to give it a go? We're not doing anything tomorrow. And it's funny to think now we were we were pretty naive. We were just a bunch of American kids. Uh, so the next day it was, you know. Typical February morning in Ireland, pouring rain, uh, cold, wet. And we, we show up in our clean sneakers and jeans and we're expecting that, you know, we just park on the side of the road and the cars would come by. Uh, uh, 
no, <laughs> it's not quite how it works. And after about a mile trek through some uh, fields and climbing through barbed wire and scrambling over some rock walls and uh, wading through puddles of cow manure, uh, we were covered in mud and we got to the side of the stage uh, and we're like, this had better be worth it, you know, because um, we were cold and wet and muddy. Uh, but I remember, yeah, the, you know, hearing in the distance the kind of the first bangs of the anti-lag system, and it would have been, I think it was Andrew Nesbitt was the first car through. Uh, it would have been like a Subaru, I guess that time would have been like a Subaru S9, uh, one of the X-Pro Drive cars. Mm. And, uh, you know, you hear in the distance just the bang, 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 you know, in the distance, and then... Um, standing there on the side all of a sudden the car bursts into view and just this rush of sound and color and then uh it just envelops you you know and um and then as the car passes by there's that that smell you know that it's it's almost acrid uh but it's lovely too that smell of rally car that kind of lingers in the in the the moist air and uh the smell of the carbon brakes and the clutch and the tires and it kind of brings into focus what you just saw and then in Ireland, the cars ran at, you know, 30-second intervals. So just before you had time to even process it, another car is coming by, another car, another car. And, uh, yeah, that's how I fell in love with it. <laughs>